This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Activate, a show brought to you by Amnesty International. Good evening Christchurch and welcome to the December 2021, the uh, ultimate, not the penultimate, the ultimate show for Activate here on Plains FM for 2021. So my name's Stefan and uh, it's great to have you listening to another human rights show here on Community Radio and we've got a cracker of a show for you for December and January actually, there's an intimate link and I'll explain that to you. So I hope everyone's uh, gearing up for a good uh, Christmas and summer holidays. And uh, if you're looking for something to do, of course, keep your eye on the Amnesty website. Look at human rights actions that are happening. Uh, human rights campaigning doesn't shut down for the holidays. So we'd love to have you uh, yeah, writing some letters and uh, keeping the pressure on those. But anyway, today's show, uh, we've got Catherine talking about some human rights in the news. Our uh, star attraction actually is... We'll be interviewing Simon O'Connor, who's the National MP for Tamaki up in Auckland. And this is actually going to be a two-part uh, interview, so uh, I won't let the cat out of the bag yet. We'll do a formal introduction on what we're talking about shortly, um, part one. And we're actually uh, going to record a piece as well, and you'll be hearing that in January as we follow up uh, his uh, involvement with the Interparliamentary Alliance on China. So, uh, yeah, really excited about this interview we've got coming up for December and January. We'll have a Right for Rights report too as well. We just had that. Uh, just the other weekend, the annual Amnesty Letter Writing Campaign, and then we'll uh, follow up with uh, some events that are happening for the summer period. So looking forward to the show. Hello, and welcome to the final Human Rights in the News segment for the year, the month of December. This is an article all about the tennis star Peng Shui and when I was preparing for this segment to you, my take on it was going to be all about how proud we can be of the WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, who has banned playing in China. Well, that is still the case and we all should still be proud of that association, but I have seen overnight that Peng Shui has retracted the sexual assault claims that she made in November. This is an article that I saw in The Guardian and it's been published extensively. So here goes. Peng Shui retracts sexual assault claims as fears over well-being persist. The Chinese tennis star Peng Shui has denied that she had accused a former senior official of having sexually assaulted her in what is believed to be the first foreign press interview since her November essay caused a media storm. I wanted to make this very clear. I have never claimed or written about anyone having sexually assaulted me, Peng said. With regards to Weibo, it's about my personal privacy. There's been a lot of a misunderstanding. There should be no distorted interpretation. The claim apparently contradicted a 2nd November social media post in which Peng accused the former vice president of having coerced her into sex. The essay was taken down less than 30 minutes after it was published 
and Peng became the centre of a global media storm after disappearing from public view for more than two weeks after the essay. Now, what's been seen is uh, on her Twitter account, there's been a video of her um, giggling with the Chinese basketball player Yao Ming. Uh, And there's also been another follow-up on Twitter, a post where she has been seen with other Chinese international sports stars. And on the face of it, it could look like a propaganda-type image in that she is standing next to a banner for the quote, FIS, cross-country skiing China city tour with uh, Shanghai's Yangpu Bridge in the background. She said that she's not missing, she's not unsafe, I've just been resting at home and everything is fine. So there you go, the controversy continues. Chinese diplomats condemned unnamed people of malicious hyping of the Peng saga. Watch this space. Yes. Okay, so on tonight's show, we're uh, very honoured and, and privileged to have Simon O'Connor. He's a national MP for Tamaki, who has uh, joined us um, for this interview. And as I alluded to in our um, uh, intro today, we have it's actually a two-part interview. So, um, Simon, thank you very much and welcome to the show. Stefan, it's a pleasure to be along. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, as, as I mentioned, Simon's a, a sitting MP for the uh, Tamaki seat up in Auckland. Um, and Indeed. Yeah, and he's one of the two New Zealand MPs on the Interparliamentary Alliance on China, or uh, IPAC, as we like to say. Uh, now, this was established on the 4th of June 2020, uh, the 31st anniversary of Tiananmen Square. Is that correct, Simon? That is, yeah. It was a, a global coalition of, of MPs who who came together. New Zealand was a little bit later in joining. Um, but yeah, it's an international group of MPs who, from both sides of the House, that was a really important part of IPAC. Actually, you've got like a New Zealand Labour MP, a national MP, and it's mirrored like that throughout the globe. But yeah, we speak together on issues to do with communist China. Mm, great. And um, for our, our, so we're talking a bit about that in uh, our interview tonight. And also, as I've told our listeners, we'll be coming back and, and talking more around the human rights issues that uh, IPAC has uh, made comment on or focused on. So, um, Simon, maybe we can uh, just talk a bit about you. I mean, uh, obviously National MP for Tamaki, but uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Our listeners are always interested to hear on, you know, people and their involvement in human rights, but particularly yours. And I, I must confess, um, my my knowledge of your background is confined to Wikipedia, but uh, there was uh, some really interesting, uh, it sounds like you've walked a very interesting path to Parliament. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Oh, there's, there's an introduction and a half. Yeah, I've had an unusual path and so far as, well, I might as well cut to the chase. If people look up my Wikipedia uh, or know me, they'll see I actually trained as a, a Catholic priest for uh, just over nine years. Um, obviously not something a lot of people uh, do, um, mm. but I might come back to that. But sure. um, immediately before Parliament, I worked in, well, Southern Cross, so it was the... Um, health insurance provider. I used to do all the negotiations for them around the country. It's doctors and hospitals. And before that, had worked for the Ministry of Social Development, actually. Again, negotiating contracts. I used to do all the social services that the then government required. And I say it somewhat jokingly, but there's an element of truth. It was during the Labour government time, so I had lots of money to, to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, but then prior to that, it is that you know, I trained as a a priest, and that was a remarkable nine years of my life, all my 20s, effectively. Mm. Um, obviously, wasn't for me in the end. I, I left uh, when I was 29 and um, pursued a, a political career, which I, by, you know, I don't know, luck or good fortune, have 
have ended up in. But, you know, that was a pretty profound time of my life, not only all the academic uh, studies yeah. uh, at Auckland Uni, but also just all the different experiences, which, to be honest, Stefan, is what sort of led to, you know, part of my interest in the human rights side, because a lot of your training is very practical, um, be it um, I was in Fiji and, you know, Black Rastafarian community um, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, for a while, seminary itself is on the, pretty much the corner of K Road and Ponsonby Road, so engaging with um, the communities there from our homeless and drug users. and Yeah, so lots of experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And did I read, uh, correct me, for, were you involved with um, prisoners in Mount Eden as well? Was that part of your role? I, I was, yes. I was a, a chaplain at the old Mount Eden, so that old Victorian uh, brick place, block, stone. Yeah, I was there for a while. Um, which was probably um, one of the most liminal or um, life-changing experiences for me, actually, amongst everything I did. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, if, if you don't mind sharing, um, in what sense, uh, with the, working with the prisoners? or Well, it was just sort of reaffirming their humanity. I suppose before having been a chaplain there, it was very easy to pick up the paper and read the stories of the horrible things these guys had done. Um, and, and if you will, from a distance, you just condemn them. You know, oh, this guy's murdered this person and so forth. I mean, they, those are terrible actions, but it was quite confronting week after week when you're talking with these guys to, to see their humanity, um, to understand a lot of their backstory. And it doesn't justify what they've done. Um, they're guilty of that, but uh, you begin to understand some of the reasons um, you know, the abuse, the drugs, the alcohol, and the abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, um, you know, a lot of these guys re- really suffered. And again, I'd want to stress to your listeners, it doesn't uh, justify what they've done, but it just, for me, reaffirmed their humanity. And um, yeah, that was probably the, the very deep experience and just, you know, week after week hearing their stories and uh, for some of them journeying uh, along with them as they just wanted to, to talk about everything that happened and in some ways too where you could to try and encourage them to accept the decisions that they had made and try to as best they can reconcile with those that harmed mm. yeah that would be a, a fascinating um experience and uh i saw some parallel what you're talking about there in terms of you know sort of picking up a paper and seeing a you know a name or a reference in black and white and uh but, you know, these are people and they've made decisions yeah. that have affected other people. And at the end of the day, you know, they, these people go on living and, and live with their decisions and, and you know, they need people to, you know, listen or advocate for them. And a lot of what we do as well in Amnesty, of course, is, you know, those those names that are, you know, in the prison here or there or tortured or disappeared. We try to you know, put a face to the name and, you know, they're real people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the fundamental point. They are real people, no matter what people choose to do, what they think, believe how they act are still human. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that probably underpins one of your earlier questions around the whole of human rights. It's, it's not Simon rights or Stefan rights or non-prisoner rights, it's human rights. Mm. Um, and that that's been a profound influence in my life. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a, a perfect segue there, uh, Simon, into um, where, uh, well, myself and uh, our colleagues are always interested in, you know, if you were to, say, highlight what you think of a most pressing, well, the most pressing and I guess the most um, uh, relevant human rights issues for you and uh, both domestically and internationally, are there any that you are quite passionate about or any that you think should be given more, you know, focus or attention? 
Uh, probably my view is unfortunately quite academic um, in that I think certainly locally, mm-hmm. though it could probably go to, um, internationally as well, is, is really yeah, just New Zealanders understanding what human rights are. I, I, I sort of look at it over the last years or decades that the understanding of what human rights are has been quite um, degraded. Um, it, it, it's just become such a, an oft-used expression that everything's a right. Uh, and and um, what that's done, I think, is, is take away from some of the most fundamental rights. Um, it's sort of clouded things. There's just so many, as I say, people and voices there where, for me, you know, human rights, is it's not so much narrow, Stefan, but the ones that we have are so, so key, you know, the, the freedom of life, uh, to be out of liberty, uh, you know, our freedom of movement, the freedom of association, the freedom to believe. Um, these are absolute fundamental human rights. Um, and you could argue, and I don't want to get political, but you could argue that COVID's really challenged that. You know, our ability to, to move, to associate, to believe. Mm. Um, these are under, under, under challenge, uh, but also not just here, around, around the world. And we'll talk mm. about China later. Yeah. Um, but, you know, fundamental human rights, they're just, well, crushed, gone. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, now you said yourself and, and Louisa Wars, the Labour MP, of a sort of bipartisan representatives on IPAC. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be able to tell us how, I mean, we did mention earlier how IPAC sort of came into being and, and how yours and, and Louisa's, if you, if you can speak for it, or more, more so just for you, how, how you came to be on, on board with it? Yeah, so as I said, IPAC was formed up uh, a good couple of years ago and um, Australian colleagues of ours actually got in touch. So the Australians beat us to it, Stefan, um, <laughs> but they, yeah, uh, happens. they got in contact with us respectively. So um, I believe a Labour um, senator in Australia got in contact with Louisa and an Australian member of Parliament from the Liberal Party got in contact with me and said, hey, this is IPAC, this is what we're doing, why don't you guys become the initial co-chairs for New Zealand? And so Louisa and I talked and said, yeah, we, um, we like this. As I say, it's, it, IPAC not only talks about how China's um, engaging in the world, but it's really important that, and why we have co-chairs, is you want someone from the left and someone from the right. And anyone who looks up the IPAC website, for example, will see every country. It doesn't matter if it's Lithuania or Japan, uh, the UK or the US, there's always someone representing the left and the right. So we, we try to be bipartisan. Sure, sure. And um, is your role on there for a, a fixed term or how does that work? Is it for the length of time, let's say, between New Zealand elections? How does, how does it work for, for, I guess, New Zealand members and overseas, overseas members, if, if, if you know that? open. You're not really voted in, um, and it's it's not for life either, but as long as you're a member of parliament or a senator, um, as for overseas, and that you continue to have interest in the IPAC uh, philosophy, you you can be a member um, Mm -hmm. and or a co-chair. So obviously if more New Zealand MPs uh, came on board, and I would certainly welcome that, there could well be a chance to hand the, the chairship over. Uh, to someone else, but there's no there's no particular limits. It's more, you know, to those joining the network, the IPAC network, believe in what we we mm. stand for. So there could potentially be more than two New Zealand MPs on it, or are they pretty keen to keep it limited to you know a couple from each country? 
Oh, no, it could be more. Um, it's probably something really important to get across. So there has to be two co-chairs by definition. Excuse me. Yeah, it has to be two co-chairs by definition from every country, but there can be multiple members. So oh, Lewis and I are, are very keen to see more New Zealand MPs uh, come on board because we think what IPAC stands for, mm. you know, democracy, human rights, is, is pretty fundamental and pretty important. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, stri- well, myself, I talk, talk a lot about it, but uh, as I mentioned, you could as well. But, of course, um, you know, I'm uh, thinking, and it might have even been uh, around the time that IPAC was set up. I mean, Australia was, you mentioned your Australian colleagues talked to you about it, but they were getting a lot of pushback from the Chinese government, weren't they, when they were suggesting there'd be an investigation into things like COVID and I think there were, there were yep. tariffs or sanctions. I mean, it's just one example, I guess, and probably one of the one of the many reasons why IPEC was established. Yeah, I mean, IPEC was established for many reasons, but that's a really good example of of what we call coercive diplomacy that comes out of communist China. That if you, as an individual or as a country, uh, speak up um, against something they're doing, um, they punish you. They look to to, to harm you. And so Australia certainly experienced that as they've challenged some of the COVID narrative coming out of Beijing. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, wine tariffs, I think, into China rocketed. Um, they tried to cut back on, on various uh, imports as an import of Australian items. And as I say, it's part of a coercive diplomacy. And New Zealand suffered that as well, including always the threat. Mm. There's always that threat, and I certainly find it as a member of parliament that people say, oh, well, be careful talking about China because, you know, if you rock the boat too much, they might attack our trade. And that's a fair point, but it's, it's hardly a free, democratic and open way of engaging if, you know, every moment you're talking, you're worried about what another country's going to do to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So have you or Louisa experienced any pushback or criticism or, you know, from from groups or individuals because of your participation in IPEC? Oh, absolutely. Um, oh. I mean, first and foremost, there's always a range of views in, in Parliament from those who are, you know, like myself, self-described far more robust mm-hmm. on standing up to regimes like this. Uh, but there'll be other MPs who are much more um, subtle or nuanced on this. And um, that probably also reflects pushback from some, I better be clear, not many, but some in the business community who would prefer that New Zealand doesn't say anything into the moral uh, or human rights space. You know, it's just trade alone. We're here to make money. Mm. Um, so there's a bit of pushback there. And there's certainly yes. been pushback from China itself. They have made their displeasure yeah. um, known, particularly when I was the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee. They were very unhappy that, that the chair, which is seen as an important role, uh, was also a member of IPAC. They were they were very um, unhappy, and yes, they've they've made that clear multiple times in multiple ways. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, I imagine. Um, now, in our second part of the interview, as I've mentioned, we're going to be talking about some of the human rights, in broad terms, some of the human rights issues that IPAC uh, have addressed. But uh, human rights aside, you talked about one of this um, coercive diplomacy. Are there any other sort of pillars or um, tenets that IPAC uh, focuses on, like human rights for diplomacy issues? Oh, part of the other is actually trade, and that you know, uh, it's it's about free trade in the world and that we follow a rules-based order. So really, since the Second World War, without hopefully boring your listeners, there's been a general set of understandings and rules which countries uh, play by. And um, IPAC continues, oh sorry, wants to continue to support that model, which allows actually countries to freely trade 
and again, understand uh, the ground on which they're discussing and negotiating things. But China, unfortunately, along with some other countries, but China's been particularly good at trying to, to break the rules, not play by the game, um, and as they use trade often as a, as a weapon. Um, and so we advocate to, to keep to this rules-based um, yeah, this rules-based order, which we believe, mm. um, as I say, MPs across the world, has done the world um, some good service yeah. over 70-plus years. Okay. So we've got IPAC, about a year and a half old now since its formal foundation, now two uh, New Zealand co-chairs, um, yourself and Louisa Walls, and uh, this IPAC, it's, uh, you know, uh, focusing on the, the trade, the, this uh, diplomacy or coercive diplomacy and, and human rights, among other things. So for our next piece uh, on the show here, uh, I just want to talk to you about our Right for Rights. Uh, so Right for Rights was held uh, just the other Saturday, and I'm going to give you the wrong day for it, so why don't I look at my amazing piece of digital technology. It was Saturday the 11th, I believe it was, or 10th, about that. You can look up your calendars, but uh, the point is we uh, every December um, around the world, Amnesty supporters get together um, well, usually it's physically, but uh, this year, of course, there would have been a lot of people doing it digitally or virtually online. And uh, Amnesty Head Office, in conjunction with uh, Amnesty New Zealand and all the uh, global, um, uh, if you like, offices, pick out some cases. Uh, and these are usually prisons of conscience, people who have been harassed, groups which have been harassed, people who are in prison. And we all take a coordinated day of action where we write letters for a common cause. So uh, for us, it was the, the Saturday, whose date I can't remember, um, but it was just the other day. And we had 10 people uh, who attended in person and a number, it was a bit hard to know how many online, but we certainly got a lot of interest from people who couldn't attend for various reasons, but we uh, emailed them the cases and uh, and they wrote their letters. So we took over 55 actions um, for uh, the five cases that we campaigned for. Uh, probably one of the more prominent ones was Chinese journalist uh, Shang Zan. She was a journalist who tried to bring uh, light onto the subject of COVID and uh, give a different COVID narrative um, that was coming out of mainstream uh, Chinese government. And she's been arrested for that. So we wrote messages to her, messages to the Chinese government saying this isn't on, you know. Uh, she should um, have that freedom of expression. The media should be free from uh, coercion. Uh, we also signed petitions and wrote letters uh, for a young uh, Palestinian journalist. Uh, she's only 15 years old. Um, again, uh, she had seen her uncle killed when she was young in the occupied territories in Palestine there. Uh, she'd been harassed by the Israeli army. Uh, we wrote letters uh, and... Um, Sign petitions for Sphere, which is an LGBTI organization based out of uh, Ukraine and Belarus. So this Sphere, um, this um, organization campaigning for gay trans uh, rights, uh, has been the subject of uh, abuse and hate crimes. Uh, they've reported these things to the police, but the police aren't really taking any action and members feel uh, threatened and in danger. So we called on the Ukrainian government um, uh, to better protect uh, these people in Sphere and also to um, investigate what's going on. Why are these people allowed to get away with this harassment? Uh, there's a young teenage boy in 
Belarus, who was uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time during a protest, uh, which uh, is the right place to be at a protest, but he was arrested by police, electrocuted, tortured. Um, his father said, you know, he uh, he was forced into confessing to things he didn't do. So he's only a young boy, and um, uh, we campaigned saying, look, you know, he should have a fair trial. He's a child. He should be recognised as a trial, um, and you can't electrocute people in prison. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of letters, 55 actions, I say, letters, signatures, uh, postcards. Um, we even had an eight-year-old girl. Well, maybe she was seven. Maybe she was going to turn out. Hard to keep track of your seven, eight-year-old girls, but she was there. Uh, she's a daughter of uh, Catherine, who's a regular um, on our show, and her daughter came along. So it was great to see this new generation of activists. Um, so, yeah, it was a great day, and look out for our next letter writing. So that uh, wraps up our December 2021 show for Activate, Amnesty International, Human Rights on the Radio. Thanks once again for listening and uh, thanks for supporting us in Plains FM throughout the year. I think this is about our sixth or seventh year doing this now. Uh, we've had a, a great uh, interview with Simon O'Connor. We'll be following that up for part two in January. So please do tune in. Uh, 9.33rd Monday, 9.30 p.m. that is, the third Monday of the month. You can see it on the podcast afterwards. As always, a, a big thanks to um, all our individual supporters out there, however you support human rights in the, in, the, in the global environment, whether it be letter writing, campaigning, donations, talking to your friends. A big thanks to uh, Peter and Nikki Laura here at Plains FM for all their support and the engineering and putting the show together. Um, keep an eye out for our uh, letter writing, uh, which will start up again in February. Uh, there is something in the pipes. Uh, we're planning for the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics. There could be a protest out on the streets. There will certainly be some letter writing. Uh, so uh, tune in for January's show and we'll have more information about that. Uh, any questions, queries, look for us on Facebook, Amnesty in Christchurch. And of course, you can always uh, visit the website amnesty.org.nz. Uh, I'd love to uh, answer your questions and have you along at one of our regional team meetings or our letter writing group meetings. Thanks again, and we'll uh, talk to you again in January. Mm-hmm.